Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests, and by the way, today is no different, to join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. More than them talking about them, though, they're going to share real ideas that you can put into place in your own relationships, your own journey, your own work, your own life. It's going to be awesome. Before we get started today, you may want to check out the entire Live Inspired portfolio at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. There's links to our social media, links to video, previous podcasts, our work as an author, speaker, our, our, our work in life. It's a cool spot to check out, learn more, and continue the journey. So JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Back to the business at hand. Today's episode, I get to introduce you, and I'm excited about it, to a friend. His name is Joel Bogus. He is an author. He's a speaker. He's a number one best-selling author of the book, Finding Your Voice. And the reason I originally met Joel is that I was on his podcast. He's a great podcast host, and today he gets to be our guest. You're going to love him. You're going to love his heart. You're going to love his ideas you're going to love his mission and message. So buckle up, get ready for the ride, let the music start playing as I get to introduce you to my friend, our guest, Joel Bogus. Welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. You know, John, I have listened to podcast after podcast since you started this show. And, you know, to be a guest now and to be on this end, it is, um, you know, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and I mean that this is my, my favorite show, and uh, every time an episode comes out, I love to listen to it, and just um, the opportunity to, to be on, it's huge for me. Thanks for having me. Well, man, we, we agreed that you would say that, and you would be paid $100 afterwards for saying for reading that line I sent your way, so perfectly read. And Joel, I, I, I know your heart. I know you're not reading anything, and you want to take money for promoting it. It means a lot that a busy guy follows our work and is part of our community. So so welcome mm-hmm. to it. For those who may not yet know your voice and your story, bring us up to speed a little bit on on what you're doing today. Give us a, give us a snapshot of your life. Sure. Uh, thanks for asking, John. And again, thank you for having me here with all sincerity. Uh, you know me. And I meant every single word yeah, yeah. Uh, that I said. And, you know, that was worth at least uh, 125. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's a great plug. But, uh, <laughs> anyhow, you know, I started behind the mic in traditional radio, my gosh, 25 years ago, also in front of the camera on uh, TV. And, you know, I've, I've, I've learned broadcasting. I've learned uh, you know, television and things of that nature. And when I stepped away from the traditional media, world. And then podcasting started to peak itself over the horizon in the new media world. You know, it was just a no brainer uh, for me that I had to be involved 
in the industry. And um, Relaunch, that's the show that you've been on mm-hmm. uh, with me a couple of times. Uh, that has been our most successful uh, podcast. It's definitely, it, it wasn't our first podcast. We've, we've had many trips to the batter's box and uh, plenty of practice swings, a few fouls with yes. it as well. But um, Relaunch, we were able to knock it out of the park with. And um, that show right now, we're at 1.7 million downloads. Not the biggest number in the world. Big for me though, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm I'm just thrilled when when folks still uh, line up, ready to, ready to take their swing at, at being on the show. So um, that that's where where we are right now. We're you do podcasting. A blast po- yeah, tell we're, me tell me about your speaking. I know you're, you you yeah. love speaking. Well, you know, and and I and I tracked you down, John, because um, I have been so moved by your speaking. And just by the transparency of, of your story back back when you were nine, and frankly, I think I know your content better than you do at this point, but you are the guy that helps me believe that my story was valuable and, and needed to be shared and to inspire people. And that, that time that you, you took just to talk to me, uh, you know, away from the spotlights, away from the stage, just as two friends meant so much to me and, and it inspired me to, to move forward and to just focus exclusively on, on building out the speaking business. And that's what I've been doing for the past nine to 12 months is doing everything I can to learn the speaking business and, and to position myself as a person that, you know, is ideal for, for opening a conference, uh, share, sharing an encouraging and an inspiring word. And also, um, or, or, or to uh, close out a conference. Yeah. And thankfully I've been getting a, a few of those opportunities and um, I'm, I'm excited about the direction that that's going. And that, that's been a, a very prayerful um, direction that, that pay and I, my wife yeah. have uh, chosen to go. And I, I've heard you're getting more than just a few opportunities. So that's extremely exciting. And what, what I want to share during this podcast is, is the journey to the platform, the journey toward pay, the journey towards your relaunch podcast, the, the journey of your life and what it means ultimately for each one of us and ours. So let's back the, the, the train way back up to the original station. Uh, in the early days of Joel Bogus, tell me where you were born and what your life was like. Sure. Uh, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, originally. Lived there probably till I was about 18 or 19 when I moved away uh, to college. My folks, mom and dad, divorced when I was three, and I lived with my mom for a period of time. And then when I was five years old, um, I was on a nature hike with my dad in the Texas Hill Country, and I drifted away from the group, and I ended up climbing uh, – a nearby hill. And John, next to that hill was what probably looked like to me at the time, a a jungle gym. Mm -hmm. So I did what any boy would do. I climbed to the top, I ran to the middle and I laid face down on my belly and I looked down and called down below to my dad. But uh, this wasn't a set of monkey bars. It was, it was actually a railroad bridge Mm -hmm. that stretched over, you know, uh, a canyon or a, a ditch, a, a dried up uh, waterbed. And as the train approached, my, my dad scrambled as fast as he could up the hill while, you know, 
some of the older kids screamed to me to get off the track, but by the time my dad made it to the top and the train had stopped, I had fallen 30 feet to the rocks below, and, and I was bleeding, I was broken, I was motionless. I was um, quickly in, in a coma, and by the time the rescue team found me, no GPS, no cell phone, yeah, yeah. Texas Hill Country, 42 years ago, they weren't even able to start an IV on my little arm because all the blood vessels collapsed. But um, thankfully, they pressed on, and two hours later, I was admitted to the hospital, and that is where pretty much everything started over again uh, for me. Let's talk about that journey. Do you, first, do you remember that experience of climbing to the jungle gym? Do you remember the fall, and, and do you remember the arrival into the hospital? Sure. All good questions. And, you know, I, I can't give you a good answer. Here's why. I'm 48 now, and I, I've talked about this story, and I, I openly do so. Um, nothing to hide here, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I want to remember so bad, John. I, I don't know if I'm actually remembering things yes. or if I'm just manufacturing yeah. uh, things that I've been told that, you know, the people that were there uh, had told me about the, the experience. But I would say no, because I can't guarantee you that I remember actually climbing up uh, there. Well, I, I, I think some of our best memories are the ones we manufacture. You know, some of the things that are most clear and evident are the things that may not have been completely factual, actually. Time and distance and the grayness of life has, has cleared it a little bit. So that they may not be your memories, but they're certainly the memories of those around you that have shaped you and, and formed you into the little boy and then the man that you became. You, you, you end up, Joel, in hospital. To take us through that journey. You're broken and they can't even start an IV in your little arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, March 5th, 1975, room 401, Santa Rosa Children's Hospital. Uh, That's when I opened my eyes. A miracle happened. And uh, it was from that day forward when I had to kind of, you know, relearn uh, some things. Because in an instant, or so it seemed, I went from being this happy-go-lucky kid to all of a sudden uh, a kid that was behind the eight ball, misunderstood, uh, picked on, teased, and in serious trouble because that that injury it you know it, it resulted in a triple skull fracture, which you know brought all kinds of complications and, and problems uh, with it. So uh, as I entered school, age six. Not much was right mm. at that point. I mean, I, we, we had to, to go through our own um, grieving and growing process. And I say we all had to because we did. And not only was it a, a challenge for me, which, frankly, I still can't fully process, but it was also a challenge for my parents because, remember, they got, married, or they got divorced when they were three, so they were still trying to rebuild right. from a relationship that, for whatever reason, didn't didn't work out, and then having almost lost their only child, uh, just a short two years after that, um, there's no way I can even uh, comprehend uh, what 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 that entailed. I do know this: my dad had his first day at work at his new job, 
Southwest Research Institute. Uh, the day after my injury, I fell on Sunday. He showed up for work on Monday because he had to. Right. He was a single. He was a single dad. Of course, he wanted to be uh, joining the prayer brigade that had, you know, thankfully happened for me at the hospital. But you know, he he had to do what he had to do. And he knew I was in the capable hands of my grandparents. And then my mother, God bless her, she was working her way through nursing school, John, because she was now, uh, you know, a, a single mom at 21. Mm. And she had to do what she had to do. And, you know, I can get into as much detail as you want to, but I was her first patient. <laughs> and she she would come. I, I, of course, don't remember this, John, but... She told me this. Um, she would come after her classes in the middle of the night. She would stay up all night, and and she would, you know, hover over me, and she would she would clean out my trach, mm. and that and that's that's an incision in your in your throat, if some of the listeners aren't familiar with that. But um, th- and that's how I breathed, and that's that was her um, welcoming ovation in, into the world of uh, healthcare and nursing. So I uh, thank God uh, those, those folks were there. How do you think your event this fall and then your recovery from it changed her life? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. And you know what? I, I can't speak for her, but I think she, she both folks, both parents, bonded with me in a way that they never, um, well, they definitely didn't want Right. But they they never they they never envisioned because I, I'm sure and and I was in a coma I I don't have a recollection of this but I'm sure that they drew closer to me and and to the other family members that were that were there closer than than they ever ever could without a traumatic event and they definitely grew closer closer in their faith I remember I'm gonna try to kind of put a happy story on this I remember when I was a little kid and uh, my mom was divorced and she stayed, um, single gosh, until I was in my thirties. And, and that was by design. Uh, my, my, both my folks decided that, you know what, we're, we're going to focus on raising this kid, you know, d- during that time, which they did. And, um, but I remember my mom taking me to, uh, an empty church, you know, on like a Friday night, Saturday night, just, just to pray. You know, I didn't know how to pray at the time. I was just doing what, you know, I, I saw the adults do. But but I remember that. And we were the only ones there. There was no service going on. And, um, you know, we, we were there. And that's my, that's really my first recollection of, of, of being, being in a church, you know, asking for prayer, for guidance, for direction. There, there, there are sketchy details before that. And yeah. then of course, of course, many afterwards, but boy, I can, I could remember that like it was yesterday. T- tell me again about returning to school. You're six and seven and eight and nine and things are not perfect. You go from being a happy, good luck, go lucky little fella to, to really struggling. I, I always wonder when kids struggle, do they know they're struggling even? Did you know that things were different and more challenging for you? I don't know if I did because I didn't know any different. I, right. I do know that um, there were a couple of things that happened that I absolutely despised. And um, one was the, 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 the teasing and the taunting. I wouldn't call it bullying because I was the bully. 
because because I stuck up for myself. And I, you know, and I, I lost total hearing in my right ear. I lost unbelievable balance and coordination. Um, so I, I stuck up for myself. You know, I, I pushed back. So, I, so I'm not going to call it bullying. I, I wasn't that kind of a person. So I don't want to paint that picture of, of a victim. But it was things that I didn't understand. Uh, and, and things that I didn't catch on to. Things seemed to take a lot longer for me, simple things, yes. you know, at school and uh, I wouldn't hear people. And, you know, when you're in first grade and second grade and then on through you know, elementary school, you know, that's tough. Um, I remember you know, people would call my name or a teacher would call my name. I would never know where it was coming from. To this day, I don't. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was given a speech a week and a half ago and, you know, a lady asked a question and just like I always do, John, and it's funny now. What did I do? I turned the wrong way. And of course, it's funny now in a speech. And, you know, I, I kind of know how to make fun of myself. But, you know, when, when you're a kid, it's not funny. Right. And, and when you look all the way around and all the other kids are then telling you he's over there, he's over there. But you can't tell where, where their voices are coming from. You know, that's um, I don't know if you can relate, but that's a lot of stress producing. No doubt. Uh, uh, right, right there when everyone else gets it and they're even pointing to you. But either you can't hear them, you can't see them, which, you know, sometimes that was the case for, for me. But um, anyway, it, it was tough. Were there any, whether it's kids, uh, teachers, coaches, and, and anyone that looking back on it, you re- realize now, wow, that, that individual profoundly and positively shaped who I became? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this one story. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit here. But... Um, about a year ago, I made a phone call and um, a woman answered the phone, neurology associates. And I said, is Dr. Kingman there? And uh, I, I left a message. Dr. Kingman called me back and that night and I said, Dr. Kingman, your dad, you don't know me, Dr. Kingman, but your dad did. And your dad is a hero. Your dad stepped in 43 years ago and he saved my life. You know, he didn't ask for my case, but he took it. And, you know, in unbelievable odds, he he was able to pull off a miracle. And I said, you know, Dr. Kingman, his son is also a neurologist, Mm -hmm. brain surgeon. I said, you know, he's a hero to me. Thank you. And his, the original Dr. Kingman, my hero, uh, had passed away. But Dr. Kingman the son now um, was, was very grateful. I don't know if he wept like I did, but um, it, it meant a lot to, to get that phone call. Um, were there, were there other people? Of course. Yeah. You know, were there coaches, teachers and neighbors? Of course. But when you asked me that, that question just right there, I mean, Kingman was the first person that came to mind. My, my folks, well, they, they, they did what most folks would do. They saved everything that related to their child. And uh, my wife and I have gone through many, many times, all of the reports from school administrators and, you know, notes from the ER and recovery notes, uh, just about my recovery. In uh, piecing together my, my speech, we, we wanted to, we wouldn't, 
we didn't need to dramatize anything because there's already enough drama mm-hmm. in that story. But we, but we wanted to be as accurate as possible when, when we were painting pictures uh, for folks. So we we studied and studied and studied just 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 to make sure it would you know we, Joe, we were telling the truth. L- looking back on that story and your parents' divorce, the struggle forward. Yeah. The, the many challenges you had, you know, it's easy to call out what was wrong. I'm curious how it shaped you into what is now right. So looking okay. back on it, how how did you become even better because of what you went through? Sure. You know, that is a very interesting question. And without a doubt, my faith has grown exponentially, like times 10, times 20, times 100 uh, in, in that whole process. And I'm not just talking about... Uh, a spiritual faith, a belief in God and, and being a Christ follower, which I am, which I know you are as well. But it's also the faith in myself and the faith in my training, you know, what, I, what I've learned, not just in the classroom, but in, in the school of hard knocks and I, that I went to as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned how to, ha- how to have faith in those lessons that I've learned. Some of the, some of the lessons are, you know, uh, easily digestible, you know, taught in a classroom. And some of those lessons are taught, you know, you know, in the playground, uh, in the boardroom, you know, in the recovery room. And, and my, my faith has grown exponentially and continues uh, to grow. And during the recovery part, our, our ability to focus, focus on what needed to be done absolutely was, was key to, to, uh, a recovery. And you know what, John, and, and I talk about this a little bit in my speech, but you know, things have seemed to always take me a little bit extra time to learn mm-hmm. how to do since getting out of the hospital. But I think that was kind of a gift to me as well, because that just meant I had to focus harder. I had to want it more. I had to press in more. And while some person may get to X level of success in their speaking business, with their podcast, with their book sales, whatever, you know, I kind of knew on the front end that, you know what, it's probably going to take me twice as hard. Mm -hmm. You know, if if a guy's putting in uh, uh, 24 hours of practice, like real practice and rehearsal in a speech, you know what, it's probably going to take me 48 hours. And I just had to be okay with that after a while. And I just had to learn how to work harder and uh, smarter. And you know what? I'm, I'm no superhero. Uh, I'm still, I'm still learning how to work harder and, and more, more effectively, not, not a superhero. And, um, you know, the people that, that worked on me and that held my hand and prayed for me, they, they weren't superheroes either, but they were just doing what needed to be done. And they were just focusing on what was most important at the time. And you know what? That's what Dr. Kingman did. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a flurry of activity that day and the whole four weeks that I was in my coma. But he he focused on what mattered most and which part of his efforts counted the most uh, at, at that moment. Joel, and, um, when, when you speak, and uh, yeah. I think you, you do an incredible job when you write, when you uh, interview others in your podcast, when you do the work that you do in your life, what are a few of the the, the takeaways that you hope your audience might receive? You know, I want folks to be able to relate at some level 
and to realize that they do have what it takes to accomplish whatever it is that they put their mind to and that they can make a difference with where they are and with what they have right then and there. And we all have advantages and we all have disadvantages to our life. But I, I want people to know that or to re- to realize, I should say, that they have they have what it takes and they might have to do things a little bit different than the traditional way. And there was absolutely nothing traditional uh, about my, my recovery and my growth and development. You know, the, the doctor's reports said uh, about me and way back when they said, don't expect Joel to live a normal life. And you know what, John, from one friend to another, there's nothing normal <laughs> at well, this point. I know you well uh, enough to know that to be true. Life. Uh, although I think that diagnosis is one that every healthy baby can be sent home with from uh, the maternity ward that don't expect this child to live a normal life. And I think none of us should aim for normalcy. It it should be extraordinary. Right. And not easy. So, right. Go ahead. I was just going to say on one of the last times that I spoke, um, one of the evaluation forms came back to me and, and a lady had talked about, faith and how she can can leverage her faith over, over doubt. And and really that's, I think that's what it is right there. Growing your faith over doubt. And, and, and the people that were with me, they they had an inch more faith than, than they had doubt. And that's what I, that is what I hope that people leave my, my seminars and my talks with a, a little bit more faith then they, they have doubt because that extra inch of faith will keep you in the fight. And it kept, it kept my heroes in the fight so, and, uh, and me too. So that, that's what I want folks to leave with more faith, a little bit less doubt. Any uh, ideas on how we can practice that? So it's one thing to hear it and to want it. It's entirely different and in, in full candor, even more difficult to actually step into that. How, how do sure. you shift from fear to faith? How, how, do, how do you live not surrounded and buried in doubt, but uh, encouraged and inspired through possibility? Sure. That's an awesome question. And from a practical point of view, you got to take action. And taking action is, that cures everything. That, that's the antidote. A- action is its own reward. And while there still might be fear, and you know what, there there is for for me, um, you know, getting in front of a crowd, you know, there's still nervousness, mm-hmm. there's still butterflies. There'll, there will always be butterflies, and I'm okay with that. But if if you take action anyways, then you can grow in your faith. See, faith doesn't uh, faith doesn't grow in a vacuum. At least it doesn't for me, or hasn't for me. It, it requires some action uh, on my on my part. And that's um, sometimes the action would be hitting my knees mm-hmm. and praying, still action. And sometimes it would mean that I had to pick up the phone. And I had to call somebody that I was putting off calling or that I had to ask somebody for, for the sale. Or I had to ask someone to you know put me on their calendar uh, as, as the speaker. And it, it all required action. Sometimes it was action that happened uh, in a quiet room, like a prayer closet. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was action that everybody uh, saw. Uh, but, but either way, action cures everything. 
I know after in my, in my, in my opinion, anyways. No, I, I think move, right? Move, man. When you have uh, completed seminars or podcasts, authorship, whatever it may be, and you have an interaction with one of your colleagues, one of your readers or audience members afterwards, have you ever had a conversation where you were almost overwhelmed with what someone else received? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I I told a story and, uh, oh, I don't know, it was you know, a few months ago, whatever. But um, I, I was speaking at a conference in Austin, Texas, and this was, well, anyways, I was speaking at this conference, and it was a perfect opportunity. It was, I was the opening speaker for this business uh, festival. It was a multi-day event, and I got about three minutes into the, the speech, and I went absolutely blank. I, I forgot my speech, and I, I looked at the event planner. I smiled, and I said, it's not there. Then I looked at the um, audience and I said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to the small business festival. Um, I can't do this. And then I just graciously stepped off the stage and sat at the back of the room. But the event planner came up to me as speaker number two started. And he said, Joel, do you know this content? And I said, absolutely. And he said, do you, do you believe in this content? And I said, absolutely. And he said, get up on stage and nail this speech. And, you know, make a long story short, I went from being the opening speaker <laughs> to now the closer. I got back on stage, now as speaker number five. And before the applause, before I even opened my mouth, the applause started. <laughs> and I, I nailed that speech. And I, I didn't tell you that story, really to tell you that story, but what someone recently received from me telling that story was that everyone is cheering them on. Hmm. And, and those people started clapping for me before I said even a word because they saw that, my gosh, this guy's back up on the stage. Talk about never giving up to the same audience within an hour and a half. Yeah. And, uh, I'm curious, uh, how, how did it flow, man? Once their ovation died down, and now it's time for you to somehow lift up that microphone and begin speaking, uh, how was it for you the second time? Through? You know what, John? Thank you, thank you for asking, John. It, it was it was phenomenal, and here's why: because there were no stakes. I, I, I clearly identified that in, in my own contemplation. There were no stakes. The stakes were gone. I I already blew it, and I knew I blew it in, in front of people, and I didn't make any excuses. I, I didn't, you know, try to wing it, try to pretend that I knew what I was talking about. Um, I, I think that is what earned me the grace. Actually, let me let me say that again. I don't think I earned the grace, but that's what got me grace. Hmm. Is um, that that I I didn't throw a fit. I didn't cuss myself. I didn't throw around, you know, tables and chairs and, you know, like it was the end of the world kind of thing. I just said, and I told you, you know, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. I can't do this. And then I, I just graciously walked off, took my seat at the back of the room. And I think that's what, what got me the grace. And when I got back on, you know, all but three people had, had left the room. So I still had a full house, uh, a full room uh, to work with. Oh, by the way, I, another thing that I think really helped me mm -hmm. uh, with, with that grace and pull it off is 
because I did what I think a lot of speakers should do, especially if they're new in their career. Right. And that is, I, I showed up early and I shook hands and I greeted people and I thanked them for coming. So a lot of the audience members already knew me. Yes. B- before I was on the stage. So well, man, they were bet, already rooting. I bet there were handshakes were already, on the way in and hugs on the way out. Oh my gosh. It was, it was incredible. And as I drove, I had two more speeches to give that week. But right. as I drove away from that event, you know, now 930 at night uh, on a Monday, um, the event planner looked at me and he said, you know what, Joel? You couldn't have scripted that right. any better. What? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Phoenix Rose, man. Joel, when, when, uh, when they leave that room or leave any yeah. room? Uh, where you happen to have the honor of uh, presenting or speaking or whatever else it might be. What What is w- one tangible takeaway that you really do hope indeed that these ladies and gentlemen might leave with? I hope that they find one action that they can commit to and we'll take that day. And when we, when I, when I talk about action, I think a lot of times people with the best of intentions kind of get wrapped up in, well, what action did he take or what action did she take? And then that right there can bring a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Like what if, what, if, what if it's a scary action? What if it's something that is just not yet something that you can do? Like, for instance, let, let's say you wanted to write a book. Well, an action that people can, might be able to might take is that, well, they might just start writing you know, immediately, kind of a, a freestyle thing. But you know what? For other folks, that might be a little bit too scary, might be a little bit too intimidating. So maybe for other folks, they might just write a table of contents. Mm-hmm. Or if that's too scary, maybe they can, you know, buy a book on how to write a book. And what, what, what I'm trying to say is there, there's no one right action to take regarding your goal. The, the action that you that your next action is only the one that you're willing to take. Right on. And that's, and you're right. And that's what I hope, I hope I told that story. Okay. Because that's what I really want people to tangible to, to walk away with is, you know what? I can do this. I can be okay with not taking this, you know, this leap that someone else might be taking, but to take this baby step, that that I'm willing to take. Oh man, your your baby steps have turned into a, a slow walk, a gentle jog, and now a full sprint. And it's really touching lives, not only all around the U.S., but I, I know I hope so. beyond that. We'll count on it, man. As you know, because you're part of our community, we end every podcast with seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven, Joel. We have now made it to the point in our broadcast where we not only ask you these questions, but where you get to share your answers and your heart to them with our followers. So I'm excited to take you through these seven. I am too, but John, you know, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, I'm a fan. I've, I listen to pretty much every episode out there. Uh, the one with the uh, Quran yes. was, was was phenomenal. I just finished listening to that one for the second time. Uh, yesterday, I had to go back and uh, listen listen to uh, some bits and pieces, you know, again. And uh, that one was phenomenal as well. Anyhow, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit with, with these uh, seven questions because 
I, I kind of know what's coming. Maybe I'll ask but, seven uh, you completely know what? Let's, different let's questions. What's your favorite game? color? Let's do the red, without okay. a doubt. So even though you've cheated a little bit, and uh, we're grateful you have, I, I, I appreciate you being a, a, you know, a listener and part of our community. We want to hear your heart. So Joel Bogus, what is the best book you have ever read? Okay, very good. Um, my knee-jerk and first sincere answer is is the Bible because that is just so rich in, in content. And, and I just started this morning uh, reading the book of Proverbs uh, again, and I highly recommend uh, that because there's no end to the wisdom there. But uh, aside from that, can I, can I talk about a secular book? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay, fantastic. Best book, The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. And can I tell you why that's the best book yeah, for course. me? I don't think it's the best book because that's the book that I got the most out of, but that's the book that my mom gave me when, mm-hmm. when I was struggling, uh, before speaking, before podcasting, before marriage, before many things. And you know what? My mom gave me her copy. Mm. And that book, oh my gosh, I've started to cry again. I do that a lot. I love um, it. That book, John, that gave birth to this whole personal growth and development movement that, that I'm a part of now. And it's led to many, many, many other books, you know, including yours. Uh, as I you know, you know, continue to be committed to becoming the best version of myself uh, that I, that I can be. So power of positive thinking hands down because that started, you know, what, what, what you see now. Yeah. Um, Hey. Well, and how cool that it has your mother's name on the inner flap and uh, that you are living forward in that legacy. The ripple effect is going outward. So, Joel, Joel, tomorrow you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103 years of age, leaving you— now, with That is a shocker. That is a shocker. No one saw that coming. Neither the wealth nor the age, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Yeah, uh, again, I'm cheating here, but uh, after everyone is taken care of, wife, parents, in-laws, I would do something very significant with with the money, with the, um, the, the dog rescue organizations, and that that has been that has been uh, a big piece of it. We've always had a dog, always, and. When Pei and I got married 16 years ago, we got two golden retrievers and have raised them since uh, puppies. You know, we went through the therapy dog uh, process with them. We have one still with us. Uh, we lost Jake to cancer about a year ago, but we still have Bubba. And mm-hmm. it was so lonely at our house with just one guy that we, we took in a golden rescue. And that changed our hearts completely. And totally um, for the work that people do in dog rescue organizations, uh, Golden Rescue, uh, you know, Dalmatian Rescue, uh, pick pick your breed of dog. Right. But um, you know, they are all volunteers. None of those folks get paid. They all do, do it because not only do they love animals, but but they love what animals can do. And I've seen firsthand having uh, two therapy dogs. Uh, 
what they can do. And I, I would definitely do something significant, like you know, buy some property and, and you know, finish out a facility for for uh, a rescue organization, mm-hmm. if not several. Well, I, you know, we grew up with Goldens, our, the O'Leary clan, and today we have a little one about seven months old or so at our house, and it's, it's a little golden. I, 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 for me, in seeing her, Miss Emma, Emma May, she's a, she's a Southern, uh-huh. apparently, golden retriever. Emma May reminds us of what we know to be true within ourselves. Like the, the, the best of ourselves you can see frequently in the eyes and the, the unconditional love of a little animal. And I, I think it's cool that you have that same heart. If you, Brother Joel, could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Sure. And I've cheated on that one as well. I would have a conversation. I would have one grandfather sitting on each side of me. Both of my grandfathers have passed. And I didn't get as much information from them as I needed to. Uh, my dad, my dad's dad, mm-hmm. um, Papa is what we called him. He was an entrepreneur since birth. You know, he had run filling stations, which we call them gas stations now, but you know, he was out there running filling stations. He was wildcatting in the oil fields. He was driving a truck. He was working the farm that I grew up on uh, for a little bit of my childhood. And he was a true entrepreneur. But you know what? I, I let that opportunity go. And then I, I, I didn't really get the uh, wisdom that I could have and wish I did. And my mom's dad what was, a, was a successful businessman in his own right, but I, I I was too young and I I didn't appreciate what he had to offer and what he knew in raising his family. Uh, You know, so unfortunately I I didn't get to talk to them. Like Mm -hmm. I I wish uh, a grown man to a grown man as I could. So without a doubt, two grandfathers, one on each side. That's awesome. What, What is the best advice either they or anyone else ever provided you? Okay, fantastic. Joe Calloway, uh, another speaking mentor to me, gave me this information about four, or advice rather, about four or five years ago. He said, Joel, don't be cute, be clear. Hmm. And he was speaking about asking people for help. You know, I was, when, I, when I launched the Finding Your Voice book, and, and you know, it was 2012, 2013, um, I needed a lot of help because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any O'Leary's. I didn't know any Callaways and Darren Hardy's and Jack Canfield's. I didn't know those folks. So if I wanted my book to be a success, I, I'm going to need a lot of help from a lot of people. And, and thankfully, I, I got that. But um, when I asked Joe, Joe, how tactfully do you ask people to, you know, help you out, you know, maybe email their list or put it on social media or do something like that, you know, your, your book. Mm-hmm. And Joe said, you ask them, don't be cute, Joel, be clear, be 100% clear. People will help you if they're very, very certain on, you know, w- what you want them to do. Not just, well, if you can help, you know, do what you can, or if you think about it, but, but be clear. And, like an, like an echo, it still rings in my, my head. That's Don't awesome. be cute, be clear. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Put the beer down. 
I, uh, you know, I, a lot of struggles, um, in my, in my, in my teenage and and early twenties and, um, yeah, drinking was, um, you know, something that, that I leaned on, uh, a lot and no excuses. Uh, it, it, it was what it was, but it's no longer the case anymore. But, uh, you know, I, you know, did a lot of things that I'm not proud of now, but, you know, things that were not beneficial to anyone. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I have too much and, um, you know, uh, thankfully, uh, was there, was there a turning point for you, Joel, where you uh, said, you know what, I, I'm going to not only hear that advice to myself, uh, but I'm going to follow through on it, put the beer down and, uh, what, what, what changed? Yeah, there was. Um, I got married, um, <laughs> with, without a doubt. And yeah, I know that's the hero right there of, of this podcast or one of them. But, uh, you know, 17, 18 years ago, I realized that I, I needed to, you know, get some stuff together if I wanted to hang out with her. She's so much better than me, John, on pretty much every level. <laughs> and, and, and I knew that, you know, if, if, if I really want to keep this person it's not about, you know, going out and partying and all that. It's really about, you know, doing something meaningful and worthwhile. And that's, that's, that's exactly what the turning point was uh, right there. Without a doubt, I, I, without a doubt. Mm. It has been said, my friend, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? About six or seven years ago, I was at a retreat in uh, L.A., and they had us go through this eulogy process. And it might be like maybe two or three sentences, but is it okay if I just, just read yeah, it? Because yeah. I pulled out my notebook from, from that, That's awesome. that event. Okay, fantastic. And this is what I wrote. Um, let's see, 2017. So this was like 2012, 2013. And I wrote, Joe Boggess was a guy who just wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give up on his clients, on his family, on his aspirations, or his dreams. And because he absolutely refused to give in to the doubts, to the pressure, to the substances, to the failures, even to the successes, we're now able to celebrate a life well lived. Reading that and the energy you have in sharing it, tell me uh, what that means to you now? It means... Even the final three words, a life well lived. What does that mean to you? To keep moving forward. To do the best that you can based on what you have now. And when you learn and when you know better, you'll you'll do better. And... It may take a little bit longer than you think it will, which is always the case. But you know what? It's worth it. Hmm. And, and, you know, John, as, as we move forward in our families, in our, in our businesses, and, and in our lives, making a difference is worth it. And you, my friend, reminded me of that. That one day, that one morning. When, when you and I were ha- having coffee in, in San Antonio, you reminded me of that, and you helped me to believe that. And uh, and I thank you. And I thank you for this privilege, because it is, to me, John, 
a privilege to be on your show. Well, brother, it has been a privilege to you ha- to have you on our show. And Joel Bogus, you make a difference. My friends, that was Joel Bogus. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Make a difference, as Joel said, and live inspired. Well, my friends, that was the indestructible Joel Bogus. He's been through it all twice. He shared a little bit of that story, and uh, he's got a whole lot more to it. He's a a worthy guy to follow, a worthy guy to learn more about, and uh, I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more about Joel or you want to learn more about all of our episodes, what I encourage you to do is to go to johnolearyinspires.com. That's our primary website, but from there you can venture off to learn more about our podcast, the entire archive. You can follow us through social media, learn about the book On Fire, the lives it's changing, what it might do in your own journey, learn about my speaking. You can learn about our in-studio community. It's awesome, worth checking out. So check it all out at johnolearyinspires.com. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I always enjoy bringing it to you, consider telling your friends. Let them know about the Live Inspired podcast. Let them know about this community that believes that in spite of some challenges, the best days remain in front of us. We have far surpassed now more than 500,000 downloads for this podcast. We're grateful you're part of that community, and we think we're just scratching the surface. Looking forward to uh, digging even deeper with you and appreciate your help in expanding our broadcast and touching more lives. So tell your friends, those you work with and worship with and hang out with, that there's this podcast. It's called the Live Inspired Podcast, and it it's elevating lives. Uh, thanks for helping us share it. If you want to touch even more lives, my friends, don't just hear the information on these shows. Take action on it. This is an opportunity for you to slow down, pause, reflect, recalibrate, and then boldly step back into your life. So I hope you heard one idea that you can take action on today. Your life is worthy. So looking forward to you stepping more boldly and actively and intentionally into it. Well, I love it. I love being here with you, and I'm grateful for your time. So for this time... And until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired.